Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and I am joined today by Vicar Hill. And we're going to look at the readings for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, specifically the gospel lesson, which is St. Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. If you would like to listen to the readings for this weekend, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped yesterday. Today's gospel text is very interesting and frankly hard, and Vicar and I have been wrestling with this most of the day, trying to figure out how to preach this. This text is John, St. John, coming to Jesus and saying, someone who's not with us has cast out a demon, and we stopped him because he's not one of us. It's almost like he runs up with a big smile. Jesus, you're not going to believe what we did. Someone was casting out demons in your name, and we stopped them. <laughs> like looking for approval. Yeah, the pat on the back. You got a boy. And you, you, I agree. You almost hear this excitement. This, this, look what we did, or tried to do. Yeah, or tried to. Yeah. And Jesus immediately says, "Do not stop him." For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And this is a, a huge statement. And as I said, this is kind of hard because what's happening here? So obviously we have a demon-possessed person and somebody who's not one of the 12 casts it out. Before we get too far into this, we have a situation that just happened. We have Jesus going up the Mount of Transfiguration where he's transfigured, and then when he comes down, he meets a crowd, and somebody immediately runs to Jesus and says, my child is demon-possessed, and I asked your disciples to cast out the demons, and they couldn't. And Jesus has to intervene, and uh, he takes care of things. The disciples kind of feel a little inadequate not being able to do what they've done in the past. Jesus sends out the 72, mm -hmm. and they come back and report, even the demons listen to us in your name, and appropriately and rightly and correctly in Jesus' name. And now all of a sudden, they can't cast out this demon, and Jesus even rebukes them, you of little faith. And then they find somebody who's doing this that's not even a disciple. I'm pretty sure this is a blow to their ego. <laughs> you could say that because uh, even with this attempt to heal this, um, the boy with the unclean spirit earlier when mm. Jesus was tried. on the mount, they tried, but we get the sense that this is a pretty public uh, yeah. event. It's not just them going privately to try to heal this boy, but it's it's kind of in front of other people. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of sets the, the scene here for something that's kind of a public failure on their part. Right. And that probably left them pretty confused. Like you you mentioned, 
they had been doing these healings before is the sense we get. We see that in other places. So for them to now be able to, or to not be able to send out the the evil spirit, the right. demon of this child is kind of puzzling. Uh, and like you said, probably an ego blow uh, and they're kind of still, but that's, that's what they're coming off of here. And, and so now they find this guy and he's casting out demons or he cast out a demon. And they want to stop him. He's not one of us. And Jesus, as we heard, said, uh, don't stop him. If he's not against us, he's for us. And if he's doing this in my name, he's not going to turn around and speak evil of me and the mission. This has a lot of implications. And one of the things that I, I first of all, like, it makes the disciples human. Mm-hmm. And I always like that. Instead of just names or um, people that are in the Bible— these are real people, and they really had issues. And, and I think when we look at this, they're traveling with Jesus. They've seen these miraculous things. They're different than everybody else. They are chosen. Jesus specifically chose these 12, 12 men to follow him, and he's telling them things that he's not telling anybody else. They're able to ask him questions after he tells a parable. I love that they come to him, okay, Jesus, what did you really mean? <laughs> And so, you know, they have a relationship. There, There's really a, a bond. The inner circle. The inner circle, absolutely. And then this nobody shows up and does the same thing that they've been doing. And they don't like it. Again, I, I think this is huge because too often we in the church, we, we kind of do the same thing. We always like things that are like us. We also want to control things. And I want to make the assumption, the idea, concept that the disciples are fully bought in to the mission of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They're gung-ho. They've left house and home, wife and family, not in an abandoning way, but they're following Jesus. And this really means something. They see themselves doing this amazing new work. Jesus has established himself as something different than what the Pharisees are, but has also connected himself to the foundation of what happens at the temple. So it's not some fringe cult that has just shown up. Jesus is showing that he is the fulfillment of all of what the temple, the Old Testament, has promised. He's building upon what's been laid and, and making sense of it even though not everybody understands the sense that he's making from it. Uh, But that's really good, I think, to see the disciples as they're not just these naive uh, pack of, you know, ragtag guys anymore at this point. Yeah, this is pretty deep into Jesus' ministry. So Mm -hmm. they've been around. They're, They're, like you said, they've kind of bought in at this point, I think is a good, healthy way of seeing it. But we still see here that they're not perfect. Well, yeah. And that humanization of the disciples, I think, goes a long way. A- absolutely. Because then the rubber meets the road. The whole idea of the mission of Jesus, the mission of God, the work of God, we see that it's so much bigger than these 12. And they don't like it. <laughs> and And I think that's just interesting because, again, I, I think it's like the church. The church absolutely wants to grow. We want more people. We want more uh, message spreading. We want the, the gospel to go out, but we want to 
make sure we know who's there and who really has the gospel, who's really a believer, who's really, we want to have control. Mm -hmm. We want to, we like, like things. And we like credit for the things. Oh, absolutely. Look what I did. (laughs) And and again, the disciples, they're gung-ho about this, but they also see that they're participating in what Jesus has given to them. This is a feeling of importance, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Uh, I don't think that the disciples are actually arrogant. I I think they are doing this right-minded. This is the mission that my teacher, my master, has given to me. Who does this guy think he is? And you, he's never met Jesus. Yeah, I, I know Jesus. And you get that sense that they feel included. Yeah. Uh, in verse, what is that? Eighteen. In verse eighteen, because he was not following us. Yeah. And so you could read that a couple ways, but one way I think, and this is an aspect of it that I see, they feel connected with Jesus mm-hmm. and what he is and what he has going on, and they feel a part of that. Right. And so this person, like you said, is is not a part of that in the way that they see. And I think this is where they get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And this is why Jesus rightly rebukes them. And I don't think Jesus is heavy-handed on this. I don't think he's yelling at them. I think it's, you got to really think outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've sent you to do this. Yes, I have chosen you. But this is why, so that others will do this. Others will see the work. Others will know me through you. And again, this is what the church is all about. The church is to live in such a way, and when I say church, it's the individual members in such a way that they see the church, that they see Jesus, that they see his love and work. And it's hard because we, first of all, want to be private about our faith. Uh, you know, I, I put my time in at church and then I do my other life. Isn't that uh, one of the two things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table is politics and religion? religion yeah. <laughs> and, and, and But that's, that's the, the, the problem. Because then when we do talk about religion, I now have to prove that my religion's right <laughs> and yours is wrong. Aren't we both Christians here? Yes, but I'm more Christian. <laughs> I have more this or that. And I think the disciples miss that point because they really do create an us and them. I think they're absolutely pharisaical about this. And they know Jesus and they know the message, but this is almost Mm law-orientated. They're actually kind of fencing the gospel. We're going to protect Jesus. We don't want your name attached to some random guy who's never met you. He hasn't been vetted. He didn't didn't go to the special school like we have. He's not in the inner circle. So who is this guy? Uh, But that sets up, yeah, like you said, this uh, us versus them. And I think there's a really strong connection there with our Old Testament reading too. Absolutely. The last part of the Old Testament lesson, uh, verse uh, 26 from Numbers 11, we have the the situation or the, the scene is God tells Moses, well, frankly, you need help. Grab the elders and I will put my spirit on them so that they too can do the work that you're doing, participate in this. And so Moses grabs the elders and the spirit of the Lord goes upon them. But then there's these two guys who don't get the memo. They didn't get the email and they missed the meeting. <laughs> and they're, they're back at the camp and the spirit goes to them. That, that's uh, Ildad and Medad. And Joshua, Moses' assistant, 
sees and hears that um, Eldad and Medad are prophesying. They're doing the work that the Spirit leads them to. And he immediately runs to Moses. Moses, these two guys, they're, they're prophesying. Go do something. Stop them. They're, that's not right. They weren't, they weren't part of the meeting. And Moses responds beautifully. Are you jealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord's people, all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Mm-hmm. That's a really good answer because it deflects everything from himself. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. God's work. And I think the disciples actually miss that mm-hmm. because they want to be the guy. They want to be the, the the special people. They want to be the inner circle. They want the gospel to come through them. They want the the importance. And, and again, I don't think this is with arrogance, and I really don't think that they re- want to control it. But they want to be different. And I think it's it's kind of akin to uh, if you have a possession that is near and dear to you, maybe it was mm. given to you by a loved one, and that's that's your thing. Mm. And you want to use that thing. And that's kind of like the disciples here. They've been given this special bond with Jesus, and it's almost like they're possessive of it. It's like yeah. they, want to, they want to keep it, and they want to go out and do Jesus' work, and maybe not allow, allow other people to do that same work, because they want to feel that special connection, that special relationship with Jesus. Um, and they kind of have this possessive aspect of we're the ones who are supposed to be doing Jesus's work. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think this is connected to their identity, a sense of identity? We're the disciples. We're the ones that cast out demons. We're the ones that are special enough to do these acts mm-hmm. that Jesus is. This is me. Yeah. And now somebody else can do it too. Who am I? What am I? Right. So it's kind of almost like an identity crisis now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think That's it's interesting. Kinda, yeah. Uh, but I think that plays into this idea of um, kind of remembering that the disciples are human. Right. Yeah. Because if that's what you've been doing for, for three years, yeah, three years now of your life, and that's who who you've become. You're mm-hmm. invested in this. That's that's kind of how you identify yourself. And now to see some random person. Yeah. Join in on this work. It's almost like, um, you know, you've been going to school, you're in your class, you like all your classmates, and then that new kid comes in like halfway through the year, and they're really popular. Yeah. You're like, what? What's going on? Who is this guy? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Kind of a, a crisis of identity or an starting to question. Well, and I think it goes back to the earlier point. Uh, the disciples are all bought in but they have a misapplication to the full mission of why they're there. It is the work to be done through them, mm-hmm. but because of Jesus, just like what's happening with this random guy who's casting out demons. Now, all of this is interesting because it goes right into this next section, and they're connected. And I like to make this a bigger picture of the church. The next verse is uh, 41. For truly I say to you, you the disciples, whoever gives you, you the disciples, a cup of water to drink because you, you the disciples, belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. And I emphasized you specifically to the disciples. Uh, This is also in connection to those who are to proclaim the word publicly, and that would be pastors. 
It's the idea that they are, they are sent out into the world. Let it be to church, let it be to home, let it be a hospital, let it be anywhere. But they go in the name of Christ to deliver Christ's goods, Christ's gifts. And the Christian world is to take care of them. And this doesn't mean that pastors now have no worries, don't have to pay bills because everybody takes care of them. It's the idea of being received. Mm -hmm. What are they bringing? The gifts of heaven. And they should be received and taken care of so that they can continue to do that. Mm -hmm. And by making the statement, Jesus puts them in their place. You're my messenger. You're my delivery boy. It's my goods that are given and delivered. And the people who receive it, they will be of such joy to hear this work that they will take care of you, that they will give you water to drink so that you do not tire of speaking of this good news. And then it changes a little bit. Instead of just talking to the disciples, instead of just talking to the messengers of the word, now it's whoever— and this is the church at large. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better to go into heaven lame, blind, whatever, than to go into hell fully able to see, touch, and walk. And um, that, that's just huge. And so it, we're talking about sin. We're yes. talking about causing others to stumble and sin. Yes. And here in the ESV, it's got little ones yes. who believe. What's going on there? Do we mean actual children? Um, they're included, but not specifically children. And with this, we see actually a hierarchy because we're talking about the whole church, and the whole church is about relationship. You have the people who make up the church, but you also have the pastor who leads the church. And so you need the proclamation of the gospel, pastor. You need the ones to receive, hear, and support the hearers. And this together is what Jesus is talking about. First, it's the pastor. Teach right. Do not mislead. Do not cause anyone to sin. Mm -hmm. Sin. And the hearers of this message then have the same statement given to them. You have received God's word. Live like you believe. Live like you're forgiven. Live like you're a Christian. Live like you are free on the gospel. Don't cause other people to sin, and don't sin yourself. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say all these things that I've heard some commentators say, take literally. Cut your hand off if it's causing you to sin. Um while we were discussing this in the office, Vicar was trying to figure out what he could do without two hands and two feet. Um, so I, I, I think it's interesting if we take this literally, how quickly we lose body parts. Because what body part doesn't cause you to sin or what body part is not connected to sin? And I think that's a huge statement if we take this literally. I like just saying that it's not literal. It's You're hardcore. <laughs> I, it's scary. Well, it kind of goes back to hell's real. Yeah. It, it and puts you should it take your sin real. Yeah. yeah. It puts the idea of sin and the consequences of sin mm. uh, seriously. And this is kind of, um, and if these this these words sound familiar, it's because we're kind of getting the echo here from Matthew chapter 5, mm -hmm. Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about uh, 
things that cause you to sin, specifically with reference to lust. Yeah. Um, your eye, your hand, cut them off, pluck it out. And here he's using kind of the same way of speaking about sin more broadly, uh, but then not just for yourself, but also incorporating causing others to sin too. Right. And at the end of the, the lesson, it's for everyone who will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And this is the idea of being who and what you're supposed to be. You're a forgiven, blood-bought Christian. Live in faith. This is living the forgiving life. That means receiving forgiveness and forgiving and being at peace with one another. That means you stop sinning and you stop causing others to sin. And I think this really actually does tie very well into the first part of the gospel lesson when the disciples say, that guy, he's not one of us. He's doing your work, but we haven't vetted or proved, approved of him. The message of Christ is to be lived out even outside of your family, outside of the local church. It's to be seen in other places as the work of God. Mm -hmm. And this is the peace be with you, or peace be with one another, the saltiness to go out. Uh, it, it's to show relationship and the bigness of the gospel. And, and again, this is hard because here at Holy Cross, we are the church, capital T. And it's hard to look out all the other ones and say, they don't do it as well as we, <laughs> or as, as good as we. But we're together. And we're to work to push that and promote that and to show that we have all of this because Jesus is at the center and he is the one that does the work here at Holy Cross and there where his word is purely and clearly taught. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable. And of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.